She bangs, she bangs, ooh baby, she moves, she moves. And that's right, it's your genderqueer Dr. Tom Dixon, your friendly GP, and his pronouns are he, they. <laughs> and I'm a clinical psychologist, Dr. Jamie Byrne. She does bang using she, her pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Dr. Dave Demmer, clinical psychologist, he, him. And he bangs. <laughs> and welcome to Meet Q, where today we meet a fabulous Q and we're going to be debunking some sex myths. It's sex ed on steroids. And... All of us are very enthusiastic about finding the wonder in sex again. She's ready to bang. Woo! Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Meet Q podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. So how often do you guys change your sheets? Uh, every one to two weeks. Oh, aren't you efficient? And Am you, I? Jamie? I know. Two to four weeks? Is this a question? Is this... Yes, I'm worried about the stones. Um, but, well, it depends. It depends who I'm sharing a bed with. Yeah, this is true. Mine haven't been changed in months because I haven't shared a bed in months. Oh. Sometimes when Rob's away, uh, Harvey sleeps on top of the bed. He doesn't sleep in the bed. He sleeps on top of the doona. Who's Harvey? Does he leave stains? <laughs> my dog does not leave stains in my bed, no. He also has a little blanket that goes on top of the bed. When oh, sleeping cute. Right, yeah. The reason I'm asking is because I think we're going to talk about sex today. Mm. And sex can leave a stain on our lives and it can leave a stain on our sheets. Well, it depends where you're having sex. Maybe we need to ask how often do you wipe your kitchen bench? <laughs> how often do you clean your shower? <laughs> Yes, I've got a um, like weekly subscription for um, like the park wipes. bench. <laughs> yes, I've got my own. I've got my own council team. Uh, yeah, Tom like swing. Mm. Oh dear. Shall we meet Q? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Hi, I'm Q. I'm a 19-year-old queer person. Pronouns she, they. My friends talk about sex all the time, but I just don't know how to feel about this. I'm still a virgin, and when I started hooking up with someone, I panicked because I didn't know what I should do next, and I felt like I was doing it all wrong. My school only taught us about pregnancy and STDs. I just don't know much, and when I Google these things, I get a lot of porn. Oh, this is very much Is so that the noise you make? <laughs> <laughs> it depends whether I'm gagged. <laughs> um, this is very much a soapbox moment, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few of those. Oh, we have. Um, I love a soapbox, but like I am very passionate about kind of sex ed um, yeah. and I am all for it um, and kind of more of it uh, starting it kind of mm. in primary school, um, not obviously with the explicit acts of sex, but actually just about body respect yeah. mm. and bodily autonomy, etc. This is what I'm hearing with Q is that they're kind of completely in the dark and they've got some kind of negative views on sex itself. Yeah. Mm. And quite unsure about it. For sure. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like this is an area that I'm pretty passionate about as well. I work with young people and I often start this conversation with, look, I get it. You probably don't want to be talking to me, someone in their 30s, about sex. You're I, so old. I am so old, right? But it was weird for me when I was younger having to have those conversations with adults who were trying to teach me sex ed. Well, on that note, 
Where did you guys get your birds and the bees talk? Oh, my God. Okay. okay Have yeah, I got go, a story go. for you guys. So my parents were very proactive, especially my mum. I knew what sex was from the age of like four or five. Yeah, like I knew exactly what it was. I knew the act. Like, And my first question to mum was, so you've had sex with dad twice because I've got one sibling? And I think that's a really intelligent question because she said, you know, that's how you procreate. And I was like, got it. So you've had sex twice. And then she laughed. And now in retrospect, I remember that laugh and think, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, today. <laughs> yo, yo. Um, yeah, okay, shout out to Mama and Papa Burn. Um, but I remember when I was like at a nice Anglican girls' school, uh, single sex, um, telling all the kids on the way to church and they were talking about sex. I've gone, that's not correct. And I got on my soapbox and I told everyone exactly oh, what sex was. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I remember I remember asking my mum when I was in primary school and already knowing and I was kind of testing what she would say. Uh, and then she went to the library and she bought me a book. <laughs> it was like, um, girls are made of sugar and spice and all things nice or something like yeah, that. It was yeah. some ridiculous, like unaffirming non-sex book. Uh, so I don't know if I ever got, uh, well, I definitely didn't get a specific sex talk from parents. Mm. Um I think I kind of glean stuff mm. from, um, I guess, sex ed at school, mm. Harold, the mm. talking giraffe. I think we've brought him up on the show before. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, also, that long neck. really informative shows like Queer as Folk and yeah. things like that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, from- That's quite the introduction, Babylon. What it is, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I grew up down in Geelong and, and you know, we had, I don't know if it's still there, but we had um, kind of a youth health service called Jigsaw. Tom, you mm. might know if it still exists. I don't think I'm it does. Sure. Um, who were really great with kind of sexual health for for young people in the community mine was in the company of uh, grimace the hamburglar and ronald mcdonald <laughs> uh, where's this going um <laughs> is this I an explicit like, episode i had my birds and bees chat um with my parents uh slash dad um at mcdonald's and it was like when a man loves a woman it was very like kind of mm, traditional um mm -hmm. and i immediately interrupted and said i've learned about this on the playground i don't need to have this conversation can i have my nuggets <laughs> <laughs> how old were you uh, i was probably grade like 10 11 12 like okay. um kind of late primary school mm. but i found out about it in grade four mm. and then being the studious um person that i am mm. i uh looked everything up in the dictionary. Right. Well, the question I want to ask then is, did any of us get taught about queer sex ed? No. Yes, I had the A to Z of um, douching and fisting and butt plugs. And From mum and dad? No. Yeah. I had a visceral memory. Uh, I had three friends and uh, they knew that they were gay and they'd mm. come out around 10, 11, 12. Um, they weren't out. At, yeah, that, some, they were actually out around the age of 11, that I was 11, 12. Mm -hmm. And I remember the girls being sequestered into one room and the boys being sequestered into another at a co-ed school. Um, and I remember one of my gay friends at the window <laughs> as he's like stuck in the room with all the straight guys going, I want to be with the girls. Like he was, he was obsessed with my period. Like oh. obsessed. And I was like, I just, I don't feel comfortable with this conversation at all. <laughs> well, I suppose that's so. It's a good point to raise though, Jamie, the fact that sex ed isn't just about like kind of doing the, like bumping uglies. Mm. It's actually yeah. about periods. It's Sexual about our health, bodies. Sure. It's yeah. about all sorts of different things that concern the genitals or concern bumping those mm. genitals with other genitals. Mm. Yeah. Um, Reproductive health within that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something that I think, uh, 
you talk there about the girls and the boys being separated into different kind of rooms. Yeah. Bree Lee, um, shout out to her. I've just been on a writer's retreat with her. Um, but she uh, kind of wrote a brilliant piece in the monthly um, a while ago on the fact that kind of consent in 2021 is still predominantly taught uh, to boys and girls in different ways. Yeah. And often it's not one where consent is um, kind of an active thing. Yeah. It's boys might kind of get a lecture on success yeah. uh, and girls are how to protect yourself against someone who's yeah. attacking you. Yeah. So in answering Q's like, concerns here, I think um, we've developed an ingenious framework uh, to kind of break this down. Um, and it means that we can share the soapboxes. Um, <laughs> but essentially, I like to think it, um, and we kind of like to think about sex as very much being uh, one of these myths that are perpetuated um, over time through the generations where we're all left in the dark. And those myths are really the ones of sex is diseased, it is depraved, and it is disgusting. And so, as a result, the combination of all three kind of leave, leave us kind of not wanting to talk to our peers about it, not talking to kind of mm, seeking mm. information, not wanting to share things about mm, it, mm. and really having this moral um, quandary sitting within us ourselves. Yeah. And so... Kick us off. What sex is depraved? Well, sex is depraved. I like to think about this, and this is not... It's predominantly kind of um, for uh, people who identify as cis women, but... It uh, kind of extends across uh, all genders in that we always have to kind of walk the line between the Virgin Mary, one of pure of heart, of kind of no moral corruption, and Mary Magdalene, uh, who is the whore. Mm. Do you know the phrase of lady in the streets, slut in the sheets? And that's exactly yeah. it. It's like we are stuck in this kind of mix of having to be both kind of absolutely upstanding citizens mm. uh, in the bedroom as well as kind of mm. embarking on carnal desires mm. um, and being able to um, kind of exist within that pleasure. Mm. And that kind of sets up a real cognitive dissidence that mm. ultimately leaves us kind of not knowing what we're doing mm. because we don't want to ask, am I doing this right or wrong? Yeah. We don't talk to our partners about whether they're experiencing pleasure or not because yeah. um, we're not sure whether we're doing things kind of correctly Correctly, yeah. um, and it kind of then can a lot of the time leave us with a whole bunch of shame. Yeah. Um, like I don't know if anyone else has experienced the post-orgasm shame spiral. Not recently. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. Are we talking about? Yeah. yeah. So it's like it's the um, usually uh, kind of leaves us uh, kind of being like, oh god, what have I done? Mm -hmm. um, talk more about. Yeah, is this? I don't think it's confined just to kind of people who ejaculate um, semen. Uh, it's one where you get like that kind of overwhelming sense of pleasure, mm -hmm. but then the cognition uh, sinks in and says, I've done something really bad. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like obviously my trope is one where it's um, because I was watching bigdicks.com. Yeah. Um, okay. But equally, like you get it, uh, it's not uncommon in, say, Catholic um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, people who uh, kind of view the loss of semen as being yeah. sacrilege yeah. Um, or against God. Uh, yeah. And so there's 
all sorts of different kind of that morals yeah. and mm. that kind of ethical kind of quandary that mm. sets in that says we've done something bad. Particularly yeah. early as a, early on as a queer person. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's actually the female orgasm might be a little bit different, right, in that sense because of the fact that it's actually not something that is in any way taught, is in any way kind of expected. Mm. And, in fact, as a teenager I got, well, some women don't orgasm. Mm. Yeah, and that was my messaging is this is just you just that might not be a thing that you get to have, right? It's, it's, so that expectation, right, of growing up in that world that I might not get it and then also stepping into the world that an orgasm wouldn't necessarily be for my pleasure, it would be for my partner's pleasure, mm, which, wow. again, education tells us would be for a male person's pleasure. Yeah. I've never felt that guilt or shame around orgasm because it often is just... <laughs> To be honest, I think the female orgasm is sometimes performative. Well, I think I think it's more like what we're talking about here is is kind of the why we're orgasming or the content that yeah. we're yeah. orgasming to as yeah. a queer person and, and yeah. um, the the dissonance around what we're taught in a cis, you know, yeah. cis-normative, heteronormative world yeah. Yeah. that that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, to be honest, I'm not sure if this has been studied, but it might be different in people um, – who've got vulvas and vaginas um, because of the kind of relative change in hormone levels. Mm. Um, so like the refractory period, for example, sure. um, is different. Uh, and so <laughs> like, it might just yeah. be, it yeah. there might actually be a physiological reason yeah. that there's not yeah. so much of a drop off yeah. after orgasm. This is fascinating. Yeah, I'm, yeah. To be honest, this is just like kind of theorizing. Yeah. And um, I've got if a any few different rooms, know, so let's give it a shot. Uh, feel free to send in yeah. um, some yeah. studies if you know the answer to this question. Mm. Yeah. But I think what you're talking about there, Jamie, um, in the sense that sex is something that is done to another person. Yeah, exactly. Um, is a really kind of damaging uh, kind of moral quandary that kind of fits within the depraved myth. Right. Um, because it's kind of, it brings in the notion of marriage mm -hmm. and that sex is well, only allowed for the, the kind of to make a baby. <laughs> and it's, um, making a baby requires a man doing yeah. something to a woman. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And I think that, again, that kind of, um, sorry, I'm getting on my little feminist soapbox. Um, this, <laughs> right, because it's this idea that um, it's being done to us, that it's not actually for us, it's for the male pleasure, it's for the other person's pleasure, and we don't get to have... Um, we don't. We just don't get to have that, mm. um, and it just makes me so angry. And it's actually something I'm really passionate about. Education within the gender diverse community is saying like, you get to enjoy your fucking genitals. I probably use different phrases for <laughs> young younger people, but you do. You get to enjoy the genitals that you have, as long as it's not. If it's causing you distress, maybe enjoying your genitals doesn't feel good right now. Yeah, hundred mm. percent. Yeah, I really, I think that it's a really important message because sometimes, for example, you've got a trans mass person who might feel guilty about pleasuring himself through his clitoris because he feels like, oh, I'm not meant to enjoy this. I say, you know, you know, Dave, you said this to me, if you're not hurting anyone, if it's legal, well, yeah, yeah any you're not yeah. breaking any laws, then yeah. what, that's what that body part is meant to induce 100%. is pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure is literally allowed to be experienced for the sake of pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And there's, I guess, a fine line we walk on that, you know, if I put a disclaimer in around kind of the, um, that that might cause dysphoria for some Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Yeah. It might not be right for some Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And then, mm. you know, we've, we've got to work with that. But I yeah. think that a lot of, uh, a lot of the time I might work with 
people later in their life mm-hmm. who maybe haven't been able to give, give themselves permission. Yes, um, yeah, it's more of which, a cognitive block right. rather than kind of an emotional dysphoric block. And that's block. why yeah. even though I'm cisgendered, I maybe there's a, oh, an expert and I'm using the massive air quotes here, but as an expert in the field, it's just like I'm giving clients permission to explore their bodies and what feels good for them mm-hmm. at this time and mm-hmm. also acknowledge that that might change over time. I think it's um, something here that I just want to kind of lift off your point there, Jamie, is the fact that how we use language. Uh, and so if you think about the word penetration, A, penetration, like penis and vagina sex is not the only form of sex. Mm. Just blatant statement. Full stop. Yeah. Um, but the word penetration is an active verb mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. doing like something to someone else. Yeah, yeah. And so the penis holder is penetrating mm. the vulva and mm. vagina, mm. typically, mm. to simplify. Yeah. But ultimately, if we change who's active in that mm. by changing the word of the person receiving the penis from mm. receiving to mm. enveloping, yeah. Yeah. they then become the active participant. Yeah. So if yeah. I envelop a penis, yeah. I am the active participant there yeah. rather yeah. than receiving a yeah. penis. Do you guys know Kirsten Bell? She's on Veronica Mars. Yeah, Veronica Mars. She's That's fucking, and she was on Heroes as well. She mm. talks about that with her daughters, that she's taught her daughters that, that idea of, you know, um, you have uh, you don't receive um, penetration. It's not a gift. You envelop. Yeah. <laughs> it's I like, can't remember. Well, like it, like it can be, but it's one that you've requested potentially, but yeah. it's not like. There's it's, not a bow on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like proffered, like, yeah. because like you're so like kind of like meek and yeah. meager no. that like you're given this, like kind of afforded no. this like yeah. privilege. Yeah. It is a consenting act between yeah. two people who are both equals. Yeah, for Maybe sure. Maybe more than two. Or more than two people. Mm-hmm. All right. Number two. <gasps> Sex is disgusting. Ugh, gross. So this is really interesting, right? So, you know, sex is a bit gross. Like there are bodily fluids involved. Are and there? Yeah. And as a teenager is in particular, right, you're just like, oh, is, is mine right? So, you know, as a female, for example, there are fluids going on and you're just like, is this what it's meant to be like? And I certainly remember a little bit of panic when I was younger. And what do you do with that panic? Because you can't talk about it. What happens if it's wrong? Yeah. Yeah, like you don't use a mountain um, Mount Franklin water bottle to douche is like a nice little disclaimer here. Is that a thing? I, I, I'm learning things. I'm just like, God, have I done my puberty wrong? No, you've probably done it better than I did. Um, okay. In the sense that like kind of, because of lack of knowledge, yeah. like kind of a lot of water um, and not understanding our Are you own- the reason why we're in drought? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I am a thirsty girl. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, like kind of ha- having absolutely no clue how my body worked yeah. um, and being like kind of thinking, oh, I need to clean down there because, you mm-hmm. know, that's mm-hmm. what there's stuff that comes sure. out of there. So I need sure. to like freshen up. Yeah. Um, I'll like spray some spritzer. But we're talking like, you know, God, I remember thinking like, is my breath okay? Is literally, is is oh, my, the smell of coming out of my fucking genitals, is that okay? <laughs> that kind of panic. And guy, guys, I remember talking to guys saying like tasting their own cum and stuff like that. Is it okay? Yes, right? it is. If, if, that, yeah. if you enjoy doing that, go for your life. And You don't have uh, anyone, clean yourself, not breaking any laws, go for your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it um, makes it this very much thing that we want to, uh, that especially as a young person, we want to hide it because it's gross. It is awkward. It is embarrassing. You know, again, people in female bodies get their periods and we are taught such, I can't tell you the 
level of panic I had around my period as a teenager, um, you know, because, again, it's pretty common for teenagers, like, to have a much heavier period than when they get older. So it would just, I'd live in fear. I'd live in this fear of this period. And, of course, I'm wearing a fucking school dress. And I was just like, when is this going to come? Like, it just felt so outside of my control. Like, some people were scared of, you know, a monster in the night. I was scared of this monthly cycle. And I remember this distress when I first got my period, like, bawling my eyes out that I'd done something mm. wrong. There was something wrong with me. And again, I think that as a fee, again, in people in female bodies, we're kind of taught that we have to be perfect with our bodies. And it felt like there was something flawed, that there was something wrong with my body because <laughs> I was getting my period. It's entirely normal. Yeah. And equally, if any person um, who's having periods uh, is unhappy with their periods, whether it be f- mm. for pain, if they're heavy, if they're too frequent mm. or they're infrequent mm. or they're not, not sure what's going on with them, mm. please talk to a doctor. And if yeah. you don't feel like you're validated by the first doctor, yeah. talk, to talk to another, another doctor. doctor. Um, because in reality, um, there are too many people having periods who uh, kind of have other medical conditions going on, that there is treatment available. Um, I'm thinking here endometriosis or like really heavy periods. Like it should not be normal for a woman to, or someone having periods to have to have iron infusions every six months. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is treatment available, but it's the kind of cone of silence and the shame that women and people having periods um, experience here. Right. Exactly. When um, it's told, oh, that's just normal for you. Or like I went through that if they're a mother telling a daughter um, that uh, this is something that they just experience. Yeah, and then we've got our third myth, Mm -hmm. don't we? So sex is diseased uh, is the idea that sex will lead to disease, STIs, warts, syphilis. Mm, I think about, mm. you know, Coach Carr from Mean Girls here. (laughs) If you have sex, you will get chlamydia. And die. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I can't think of a better representation of the, the idea that sex is disease. He doesn't uh, even go here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think too that this is where maybe also some um, some ideas around stigmatization around certain mm. STIs come from, like HIV. Um, from the idea that sex is disease, you're going to get HIV, mm-hmm. it's going to develop and die. and die. Yeah. And also the idea of kind of the virginity myth yeah. kind of fits into here. This is one of the stories that we get told through history that is a complete load of bollocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, in essence, uh, the majority of times that sex is painful is because we're anxious or we're not lubricated enough. Mm-hmm. Lube is your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Water is not a lube. Yes, neither is spit. It's definitely not, Dave. I see you smirking and kind of shrugging there. Uh, I hope my mum doesn't listen to this bloody podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I hope she does. Um, But essentially, the virginity myth is one that it kind of flows on with this kind of envelopment versus penetration kind of uh, discussion we were having early is that like virginity is a gift. Mm. Mm. Sexual debut, like penis and vagina is not the only sex that counts here. Mm. Like sex can be anything and everything. But equally, if someone is having receptive sex, whether it's anally or um, uh, vaginally, it shouldn't be painful because we should be able to relax our bodies enough and we should be aroused enough that uh, we can lubricate ourselves if it's uh, vaginally. If it's anally, you need to use lube. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking in terms of people who are having sex vaginally as well. If there is like a lot of pain there, I think that there can be that sense that you've done something wrong, that there's something wrong with Mm. your body as well. Um, And therefore, like, you know, that panic. We talked about this with anal sex, right? 
cried and anal breathing in the, the cavern of love. And I think it's the same thing again here. Like this is a serious condition. Mm. Um, and so, you know, seek help and yeah. seek help around it because you need support um, because it should be a pleasurable experience. If it's not, please stop. Yeah, yeah this is not for your partner, right? You've got to find a way that this this feels right for you and as well. Like sex is most empowering when we can recognise what our needs are yeah. and communicate them and be able to kind of have a pleasurable experience with ourselves or with others, whether they be one other person or many other people. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the majority of the time, uh, the myth of pain with sexual debut uh, for people with vaginas um, kind of is allowed and is perpetuated is because there's that expectation of pain. Mm, mm. Um, and so unfortunately the expectation of pain, A, it increases the likelihood of experiencing yeah. pain, yeah. but B, it goes with this myth of the hymen, which is a complete, mm. again, bollocks, yeah. um, because the hymen is kind of a, a membrane that covers the entrance to the vagina. Um, which is like a one of the theories is it's um, a throwback to when we were in the ocean because it kept out the water. But actually every um, person's hymen is slightly different in that some people have uh, no hole in their hymen. Other people, they've lost their hymen by the time they're in their mid-teens um, completely. So bleeding, if it happens in sex, is most likely because of kind of tearing of the vaginal wall. Mm. And that usually occurs through kind of anticipation of pain and so tensing of the pelvic mm -hmm. floor mm. and a lack of lubrication because the person experiencing that sex is not um, sufficiently aroused. So I think we've sufficiently debunked or at least grazed the myths of sex when it comes to depravity, <laughs> disease and disgustingness. Um, we probably should offer some options for Q and how to kind of unravel these myths. Mm. And so, Jamie, what are your thoughts on like kind of how you'd approach this? Yeah, I think having an open conversation is so important. Um, when I have first sessions with clients, I'll often talk about sex and say, is there something there that you think is going to be important to talk about? Um, just opening up the conversation, right, irrespective of the age. Um, you know, having said that, I work with 12 plus because I think that there are age-appropriate ways to talk about sex, mm -hmm. right? Um, and kind of we talk about it every bloody episode, putting shine in the light, shine in the light on shame. And uh, I, it, it really upsets me, the sex education that I had, that, um, you know, as someone in a female body, uh, I was told, my body was something to be ashamed of and my sexual pleasure was something to be ashamed of and I will not ha let that happen. I think as clinicians, like, yeah. um, for the most part, we we are scared and worried about talking about sex. We, sure. we find it uncomfortable to bring up in session. I, I know that, you know, the three of yeah. us around this table certainly don't, but I think as yeah. a general rule, yeah. most clinicians certainly do. Yeah. Mm. It's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit awkward. It is, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm just very much, let's talk about sex, baby. Yeah. Let's talk about you okay. and, no, actually not you and me because it would be appropriate. <laughs> 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 I guess that's it. It's just prefacing the awkwardness and saying, I, I still think that we need to talk about it. Yeah. And the way that we make something less awkward is actually by bringing it out more, talking about it more, putting it in the public vernacular more. Yeah. And being comfortable with it. Like I, like my exuberance on this topic is actually kind of a, 
decision because it's done so because if I can make it seem less of an issue for me, yeah. I know that the person I'm talking to about it will feel like they're going to be less awkward because yeah. I'm going to be yeah. comfortable and yeah. I know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And I think that if you do have like, yes, there's going to be a slight bit of awkwardness there and there just is still for me and it'd be lying yeah. to say that there isn't, mm. but um, kind of making sure that we're able to overcome that for our mm. patients. Mm. I also talk about it in my supervision as well with other clinicians, yeah. Dave, I'm sure you're the same. Mm. I've just asking my supervisees, how do you feel talking about sex? Mm. And at least starting that conversation with another clinician to then pass that on. Exactly. And as the clinician in the, these conversations with our patients and clients, we need to bring in the comfortability. Yeah. We need to demonstrate that this is a conversation. Oh, of course, it's a conversation we'll have. Yeah. yeah like there's nothing yeah. awkward to, to think about or feel about here. Yeah. Uh, I think is important if we lead the way. Our sexual selves are as important as our emotional selves, as our mm -hmm, cognitive mm -hmm. selves, as our physical selves. Mm -hmm. And if we try and deny them, we ultimately they do have, we don't let that light shine in on the shame. Let it shine. Let it and shine. so when it comes to Q, I think kind of opening up that space is so important, making mm -hmm. sure that they're able to access the information that they need yep. and able to kind of work through like and troubleshoot like no one knows like, as soon as you hit 18 exactly how to like kind of do everything in bed yeah. in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Sex can be a really playful experience yes. if we engage in it yeah. in an open and a community. And you're allowed way. to make mistakes. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know about oh. you guys. I've certainly sometimes in the bedroom like suggested something and be like, no, made a mistake mm -hmm. there. Stop. <laughs> like I take it back. Do you know what I mean? But it yeah. is that thing of being able to kind of uh, pull back, like pull <laughs> literally, figuratively. Yeah. And so, like, no, nah, that doesn't work for me. And that's yeah. okay. And then sometimes you stumble on something and you're like, oh, that's the one. Sometimes the most connecting experience in sex is when you both laugh because, yeah. like, something yeah. goes in the wrong orifice. And, yeah. like, you're just like, oh. Yeah. Um, and you just have a little giggle. Uh, but yeah. it's, like, it's sex is fun yeah. and it's, it's pleasurable and it can be playful. Oh, and, um, yeah, we kind of all can experience that. Mm. The word that comes to mind of what you're talking about is exploration. Mm. Yeah. exploration oh, I like adventuring. In a consented yeah. yeah. and um, curious type of way yeah. in the bedroom. Choose your own adventures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, caveat, always with consent. Yes. Um, goes without, well, doesn't go without saying, actually, I shouldn't say that. It goes um, with enthusiastic yeah, saying. It does, yeah. yeah. It goes without yeah. saying within our podcast. Um, yeah. uh, but exploration and, and trying things out and exploring yeah. and um, being able to have those conversations with a partner, partner's, uh, yeah, Jamie. And also exploring that within yourself. Um, mm. Again, vibrators, sex toys. Should as, we light some Enya? Well, <laughs> put some light some candles I mean, and put some Enya like, on. I think that's really that's really important. Again, for people in female bodies, is you know not excluding people in male bodies, but people in female bodies, sex toys can be really wonderful and a really good way to explore your body, um, particularly in light. Um, yeah, if that's something that feels good. So a, a lot of what I'd be encouraging you to do is figure out what you're enjoying for yourself, play with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What feels good? And then if that comes into a partnered situation, you can play there as well. And also that's allowed to change partner to partner. Certainly I've been with partners where things have felt good and with another partner I've tried to replicate that and it has not worked. Mm. And it could be a really connecting experience, like kind of teaching something or kind of exploring something yeah. that's new to one of your partners yeah. that you kind of have a bit of knowledge on yeah. um, because you can be like, this is what I enjoy. Let, let's mm. try mm. it out together, yeah. um, even if they've not experienced that before. Yeah. So it's all about connection. And I think, Q, hopefully we've got some uh, 
lovely suggestions here for you and yeah. um, some of them will fit. And Sounds fun. Just a disclaimer before we go to final thoughts to reiterate that sex is always consenting mm-hmm. and legal. So hopefully, Q, you've been able to shine a light on the dark and dank world of sex and uh, freshened it up with our little bits of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for final thoughts, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Q, look, this is a really cool time where you get to be exploring yourself. And I'm really sorry that, um, you know, maybe you haven't had the infrastructure support there to, you know, encourage you and encourage the fucking orgasm from a female body, which is a really cool thing and something that you should really take a lot of joy in. So I'd really love for you to take that time to explore that within yourself and really take the time to play and have some fun with that and what that might look like with a partner. Mm. I second that. My final thought is around us as queer people get to break out of the box of sex just being about procreation that, you know, maybe, um, you know, cis-normative heterosexual people don't get to break out of. So for us, sex isn't about that at all. So it just, uh, for most queer people, isn't about that at all. So it actually just gets to be about fun. Yeah, it just gets to be about connection. It just gets to be Mm. about kind of the sexual Mm. act as Mm. opposed to it kind of having anything come along nine months later. Mm. So to be able to take that frame of mind and break out of that box, I think is something really special. I like to um, get out my box of toys and my box of like kind of lubes, lubes and the box of fantasy porn. Anal beads that you also use for chess. Yes, exactly. That's how I communicate. (laughs) You get that reference. Um, No, I I did. Um, But... It's really about like kind of I want to launch off Dave's breaking out of the box and actually say that like our boxes are ones where we can find a lot of joy and it's really about being open to kind of actually going exploring because when it comes to it, the sexual world is a wondrous world and we just need to find that curiosity and wonder again and kind of not listen to these tropes that um, imply all the negative myths that we've talked about today. Well, let's wrap this up like putting a Condom on a banana. <laughs> I think we're done. With your Bye. 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 BQ is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBTQIAP community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP mental health resources. Thank you.